0: since we're in the midst of this uh horrible virus that is just going on uh, non-stop uh, then we want to give just take a moment to give an update as to how things are going so we don't want to have two months where we're just preaching and talking about those things but yet we want to be cognizant of what's going on around us and how best for us to respond so uh, I've asked one of our good doctors, uh, Dr. Nathan is an internal doctor, to be able to just share a little bit about what he's seeing and give us some, a little bit of advice as a church family. So Nathan, can you give us an update on where we are with this virus, specifically what's happening here in Collin County?
1: Yes, Brad. Um, hello, church. Um, first off, Things in medicine don't typically change very rapidly. When I was in med school, which was in the 90s, textbooks were based upon information that was about five years old.
0: Yep. yep. That's
1: changed a little bit with uh, online textbooks, and uh, to have something that showed up initially in November cause a global pandemic is extremely unusual. Um, the first case of coronavirus, uh, as we know it, COVID-19, showed up November 7th, November 17th in Wuhan, China, of course, and it was identified December 31st, um, and we didn't even start to see cases here in the United States until the beginning of February.
0: So we have various hotspots around the world, but now it's coming into the United States, and... Specifically, you know, we're, we're kind of tracking what's happening over here.
1: Right. So two months ago, we really couldn't have predicted this. This is uh, extremely unusual. So within the past two weeks, um, everything has completely changed as to how uh, medicine is practiced in this country. Now we need to be cognizant of making sure that uh, we have personal protective equipment, that um, we uh, know how to assess people and where to assess them, uh, which there's been a lot of confusion associated with that as well, not to mention the fact that information is coming from so many places including the CDC, the uh, Texas Department of State Health Services, uh, Collin County Health Department, Texas Medical Association, all the insurance carriers, it's right. And
0: and so you sent me a, a list of websites that are very helpful that, that you go to. And uh, so we're going to actually send those links out to the congregation so uh, you can get the most accurate and up to date. Hey, this is where you go for information. So I, I want to ask you a little bit uh, because we're also entering into times where you have allergies going on and other things that are happening. And so you Sometimes you're sitting at home and, and you're kind of going, okay, do, do I have it? Or is it just seasonal allergies? Why, why am I coughing? You know, and every, every time we sneeze, oh, oh no. You know, we, we look at different family members and go, oh, do, do they have it? And so we've heard of sim- symptoms like fever and coughing and, and shortness of breath. Uh, as, as a doctor, is there anything we need to be looking for specifically as we're talking about these various viruses?
1: Yes. Those are the main symptoms that we're concerned about when it comes to COVID-19 is fever, cough, and shortness of breath. Now, they don't happen in all patients who get sick with COVID-19. Fever occurs in 88% of patients, uh, cough in 68% of patients, shortness of breath only in 18%. Uh, More patients actually get muscle aches uh, and malaise. Malaise occurs, which is just being tired all the time, occurs in about 38%. And then, in under 20% of patients, we see headaches, sore throat, uh, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Um, so they're very non-specific symptoms that could be attributed to other illnesses as well. Right. Right. Uh, w- as far as when we're testing someone, uh, we currently have criteria from the CDC that tells us if anybody has fever or lower respiratory symptoms, which include cough, and shortness of breath, Sure, and they have a known, positive, confirmed exposure, then we can test them. Right. If somebody has fever and lower respiratory symptoms, and they are either, um, have, they have traveled to a geographic area where they ha- could have been exposed because there's local transmission, which is starting to be everywhere, yeah. um, they're at increased risk. So people over the age of 60, or uh, anybody who has cardiovascular disease, uh, yeah, diabetes, cetera, can, yeah. And patients who uh, are hospitalized, and all hospitalized patients with sure. these symptoms are getting tested if they don't have another identifiable cause. Um, however, it gets to be frustrating for patients when they have fever, but they don't have any other symptoms, um, and they don't get tested. And it's expensive to go to the emergency room and be told, sorry, you don't meet criteria.
0: Um, well, and is that even what you're supposed to do, because we're seeing on, you know, on various news channels of drive-up places. I, I know you probably don't want people just showing up unannounced at, at your office. Exactly. and So that's what, one of the, what is kind of the protocol if you feel like, okay, I need to get tested?
1: Well, uh, last Sunday night I almost had a panic attack when they uh, said on the news, stop going to the emergency room and go to your primary care doctor's office. <laughs> yeah. Um, Partly because we, a lot of primary care doctors in the area have not been able to get uh, personal protective equipment to see sick patients in the office within the past three weeks. Um, I am working right now on trying to get some from strategic stockpiles that are uh, in the county. Um, But that's a challenge in and of itself. Sure. Uh, For patients who are having symptoms who uh, think they need to be evaluated they need to call the doctor's office. Um, If you are uh, sick enough to the point where you think you need to go to the emergency room, you need to call ahead there as well. Right. uh, So that they can make arrangements for how you're treated from the time that you get to the door. Um, In emergency rooms, they want any acutely ill patients with these symptoms showing up at the ambulance bays, not in the uh, uh, lobby area. Sure. And so in our office, we and with most doctors offices right now as of Monday of this week uh, we've been putting signs on the door saying do not come in if you have fever, cough, shortness of breath and so that that's been a frustration because it's hard to really assess somebody over the phone Um, we're starting to see a proliferation just this past week of telemedicine in order to do so but you can't listen to somebody's chest via video so uh, Call your doctor's office if you are sick and you think you need to be assessed.
0: Okay, so Nathan, we have people that are tuning in from Franklin, Texas, down by College Station, and in Dangerfield, out in East Texas, and Midland, uh, Oregon, Connecticut, and California. So these are all very different places. Uh, so it, it's hard to say what this virus is going to do as it progresses. but. We've also heard hope that, that hopefully as temperatures rise, especially here in the south, uh, that maybe this thing will burn out. What's kind of your uh, take on this? And then what would be kind of your message to those that are tuning in today for this worship service?
1: Well, uh, of course, a vaccination is at least a year away. So we don't really have any hope that that's going to have an immediate effect. Um, What we're doing right now, of course, is community mitigation, which is the distancing yourself. Coughs can travel up to six feet, and this is predominantly transmitted through respiratory droplets. Yes, I (laughs) am. And uh, then there's also just uh, isolation if you're having symptoms, Mm -hmm. Uh, staying at home to prevent uh, community spread, even if you don't have symptoms. And uh, the other things that we're looking at are medical therapy, of course, everybody's heard. Uh, about potential medications that could mitigate the symptoms in patients who are sick, including hydroxychloroquine and antiretroviral agents. Um, however, these are really at the beginning of uh, studying, and it's not something that we're ready to uh, release out for uh, routine use, and if anything, they're only for compassionate use at this point. Right. Um, and then there's, if we don't do these community mitigation strategies. It's just achieving herd immunity, which for this virus, we have no idea what that is. It's somewhere between 25 and 75 percent. Flu is 30 percent. Measles is 95 percent. Sure. We don't want to get there.
0: You know, one of the uh, ministers that I spend a lot of time with uh, had a uh, student that was in his youth ministry program that's actually over in wuhan china and what they're saying is they're on the back end of this thing as we're kind of cranking up and the message that she had is it may seem extreme what the doctors are suggesting for us to do in the social distancing but she said it's not extreme once you've seen what this what it can do to a community so any final words a message or encouragement or challenge or? What what would be the message you'd want to get out as a doctor to a lot of patients?
1: Well, of course, wash your hands. Wash your hands frequently. Um, I keep seeing the don't touch your face uh, recommendation, but that I find to be ridiculous. Just wash your hands if you are going to touch your face and after you touch your face. um, Again, the transmission is with respiratory droplets up to six feet with coughing, as well as what we call fomites, which is where you wipe your Face, touch a door handle, and the person behind you touches the door handle and wipes their face, that gets it transmitted. And we don't know how long the virus really lasts on inanimate objects. So, uh, and then, so really just washing your hands and uh, trying to stay as isolated as possible. Like you mentioned in China, they locked down everything. They had uh, everybody stay in their houses and their uh, apartments, and they could not leave. They had uh, local purchasers and Uh, very strong restrictions Mm -hmm. on who could go where we don't really have the opportunity to do that in a country like this so uh, it's it's all voluntary but stay
0: home so it's serious Mm -hmm. let's thank Nathan for his time and we thank you for your expertise I appreciate you coming in today thank you Mm -hmm. you know big thanks to our tech team that has been working overtime to get all of this done and To ensure that we have uh, the ability to worship together Uh, many of you have dropped by the building to get the little communion cups and some of you have requested that we go ahead and uh, and send bring them out to you some of you feel like you live too far out well I have tasked Scott Cooper who does a lot of our work with communion and making appointments uh, to meet up with Mike Turbo and the disaster relief team, they're working out a solution called Communion Drones. So these will be coming your way. Uh, Mike has asked just that we don't touch the trays when they come to your house. Uh, we did get an email this week saying, when are we going to be coming back together? We'll just have to wait and see, uh, and see how things go and when the local authorities kind of give us the green light. Then we'll all come back and celebrate with each other. Well, if you are with another church and you've chosen to to worship with us today, we're glad that you have tuned in. We're in the middle of a series called The One. It's not necessarily a series where we're talking about finding that one perfect person, but rather in our marriages, being the one. Being the person that God called you to be will bring health to that relationship you know, in the first week of our series, and if you are, are not a member here at High Point or you missed, you can go back to our website and pick up week one. But we talked about the idea of working on our mess and, and working on the things that we brought into a relationship. And, and we talked about if you can imagine having a hula hoop and, and you pull it up around you, you work on the stuff inside of your hula hoop instead of what's going on with your spouse. Well, Keith and Denine Christian sent me a t-shirt that I thought was pretty appropriate. And it says this, uh, Jesus loves this hot mess. And I think it's absolutely true, but don't let it stay a mess. Go ahead and deal with your stuff and work on it. So let's talk a little bit about marriage. And let's talk a little bit about how we choose our mates. You know, from the time that we're small children, we read um, little fairy tales and and we watch videos and things where you have princes and you have princess and, uh, boy, just this whole romantic side of love. And we dream about and and think about, well, who will be the one that will be for me? And when you ask people that are married, they always tell you the same thing. Oh, you'll know. You'll know when you have found the one. But what if it's wrong? What if you don't choose the one? What if that person isn't what you thought they would be? In in 2017, there was a global study on marriage that sent shockwaves through the social psychology community. And they started looking at, holistically, around the globe, how are people married? How did they find their partners? And, And what they found is, 55% of the world still chooses the bride or the groom for you. That is done through your parents. So your parents will get together with someone else that they respect or they enjoy or think that would be a, a good family to join with. And they arrange that marriage. So that leaves 45% of how we kind of do it, they call them kind of love relationships. So you find someone you think you're compatible with, someone that you want to spend the rest of your life with, and you choose to marry. Only 45%. It is mainly kind of a a Western culture thing. So what is the success rate, so to speak? Well, what they found is in arranged marriages, it's less than 6% of these end up in divorce, whereas in love relationships, it's 30% plus for first time folks to get married. It's higher when you're married again or or a third time. So about 30%. So why is there a disparity here? Well, those that that looked at this worldwide study on on relationships and marriage said, "Hold, hold on, you need to take these results with a grain of salt. Because those that are in arranged marriages, a lot of those cultures frown upon divorce. In fact, some forbid it. They also said in these cultures, marriage means so much more. Marriage is uh, oftentimes about preserving religious ideals. It's also an economic benefit for couples to come and, and to form this union. And it also serves as a building block for the community. So there's a, a high pressure within these arranged marriage cultures for couples stay, to stay together. And I got to thinking, well, I'm sure that's true, but why aren't these things still in place in our culture, in love relationships? You know, I, I think sometimes it's, it's difficult for us to imagine our parents choosing our mate for us with uh, my wife and I having two kids in college, we kind of like that idea of picking out the mate for them. But we are, are, are not uh, open to this idea because in some ways, we, we feel like we don't want to be trapped in a loveless relationship. Well, if that's true, uh, why hasn't married for love worked out better I, th- I think to answer that question, we have to kind of have a little bit of a history as to some of the teachings surrounding marriage, because a- as believers, we have gained a lot from both Catholic and Protestant church teachings. F- from the Catholic church, this is what we have, have gained, that marriage, we've learned, is kind of a framework for lifelong devotion, and so it is within this uh, framework that we build our lives, and it's kind of how God intended. Now, certainly, there are uh, many that, that choose to remain single, and Paul said, that's fantastic. If you can do that, great. But we see the framework of a lifelong devotion. We also learn from this teaching the idea that you subordinate your individual wants that the relationship and the household that's built is more important than maybe our individual wants and needs. And and finally, we learn from the Catholic Church the whole embodiment of Jesus' love also shows what the church is about. So the relationship between husband and wife is kind of a living and breathing example of Christ's love for the church. So these were important teachings that were passed on to believers. Well, what about on the Protestant side of the ledger? Here's what we came up with is the Protestant church taught about how marriage benefited humanity, that there is a real benefit for a man and woman to come together and to form this union and to bear children and and to build these family units. They also said it's not just for uh, humanity's sake, but men and women are better people when they marry. I know for myself, I, I'm a much better person because my wife, Jill, and I want to be a much better person when I'm with her. And so there's a maturing that takes place, and Jill would tell you, it's still going in, in my case. I'm still growing and maturing, and she's, she's working on me. So there is a real benefit that comes from uniting yourself for a lifetime within a marriage. And finally, they also said that, that children thrive better in this. And there's all kinds of studies about uh, education performance and, and how kids do and in a single family versus a married and intact family. And so there is a real benefit to this cohesive union working together as God intended, and also community benefits as well. So these are some some things that we have gained, but along came the Enlightenment that said, is this enough? Maybe we're missing out on some things. And so the Enlightenment said, let's take our focus off of what's happening in society and let's bring it back to you and me. What's going on in my life? Because I've only got one life. And so the needs of the individual then surpass the needs of your spouse or even society in, in general. And boy, this enlightened approach of, of choosing someone for love and choosing someone that can meet your needs. Well, that's the path to self-fulfillment. And you will be unfulfilled if someone else is choosing your mate. Or you choose to be in, in a relationship where others' needs are considered. And your fullest example and who you can be, how you can be actualized, well, that needs to be cared for and taken care of by you. That becomes most important. Others' needs, including those of your spouse and children, well, those get subordinated so that you can live your best life now. So in reality, we're kind of becoming somewhat like the bachelor or bachelorette, right? And so dating becomes this search for the perfect person that meets all of this criteria and, and someone that can bring me happiness and, and meet all, all of my wants and needs and, and desires. All of these things get wrapped up into one person that can handle all of these things. But hopefully, we don't date 20 at a time. Uh, John Witt, in his book, From Sacrament to Contract, describes this kind of a lightened approach to marriage. Here's what John said. He said, instead of finding meaning through self-denial, marriage was redefined as finding emotional and sexual fulfillment and self-actualization. That's what it became. And that's what we need to work with and what we need to kind of take a look at as it infiltrates even into believers' relationships. So in, instead of this public institution that benefits all around, marriage has kind of kind of morphed into a private quest, something where I can live and, and all of my needs can be fulfilled through this relationship. What does this look like? Well, when it comes to relationships, uh, whether we actually have a list or not, each of us have Kind of some hopes, some dreams, and some desires. And so we have this ongoing list in our minds of, of hopes, what we hope will happen during our lifetimes, what we dream and, and can imagine. And so we, we write these things down and, and we form these lists and, and we have bucket lists and, and things that we want to accomplish while we're here on this earth and then desires, things that we really want needs that we want fulfilled. And so we chronicle these things, and we, we come up with these lists, and we say, okay, uh, I want to get these things taken care of. How do we come up with our list? Sometimes it's by family of origin, what we grew up in. And, and sometimes we look at our family and we say, I want to replicate the family and the relationship that I saw growing up. And, and other times, we're like, okay, this is how I grew up. I want to do a 180 away from that. I don't want my marriage and, and my family to look anything like that. Sometimes, and most times, it's kind of a hybrid where we take some positive things from our time growing up, and we also take the example of some negative things and say, I don't want that. So I don't want to be like my father, but I want you to be like my mother. And and so we have these family of origin that helps us to formulate these hopes, dreams, and desires for how the rest of our life will will take place. I I think whether we know it or not, we also glean our our list from some of the things that we've seen maybe on TV or or on movies. And and so uh, if you're a big fan of Hallmark and you spend your life growing up watching Hallmark movies, Well, maybe your hopes and dreams and and desires will be that you will meet someone like this person, Matt, uh, that you'll marry a prince or someone that owns a a cupcake shop and lives in a a million-dollar home selling cupcakes. Don't know how that works, but we think that's the life, and so we want our hopes, dreams, and desires to mimic this. Well, Well, what happens if the person that we choose to marry watches different movies? okay maybe that's completely different do you see how this kind of causes some problems okay so if we're trying to recreate something healthy that that's great but a lot of times it's about me it's about my hopes and my dreams and my desires and oftentimes What we want to do is we want to grab this list and we want to hand it to the person that we're married to and say, get after it. Come on. I have faith in you. You can accomplish my hopes, dreams, and desires. But oftentimes what it looks like to our spouse is expectations. That I expect you to do these things. That my life will not be fulfilled unless you're fulfilling these things. And so let me give you two reasons why I think this approach simply just doesn't work and it's problematic. The first is that it breeds conflict. It breeds conflict um, because, as you know, there's just not one set of hopes, dreams, and desires. There's two. And sometimes these hopes, dreams, and desires... Uh, don't add up and they don't match up and so there's a problem there whose hope dreams, and desires take precedent which ones are we going to go which script are we going to go off for our life so it breeds conflict uh, let, me, let me give you one example you know calendar is kind of a big deal and when Jill and I first got married, boy, that was something that we kind of wrestled with. Um, and we got married. Uh, Jill was, was very fair. She said, uh, I only want to spend three holidays with my family, and your family can have the rest. Uh, so we'll spend Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter with my family, uh, and, and your family can have, like, Halloween and yeah halloween's free to so do whatever we want on halloween with your family a you know, groundhog day that'd be awesome uh president's day have at it go with your family uh we're down here in texas cinco de mayo yeah your family we'll do cinco de mayo stuff with them we're, so boy, it breeds conflict because we have in our mind, we'll continue doing Thanksgiving and and Christmas and Easter and, and some of those things, the way that we grew up doing these things. And we can't imagine disappointing our families by changing the script from our family of origin. So it breeds conflict. The second thing that it does is it weakens love. It weakens love. This is one that's a little harder for us to understand. But if you're pursuing your hopes and dreams and and these desires and you expect your spouse to join in on this pursuit with you, what happens when they actually do some of these things? Well, they're expectations, so we expect you to do those things. So it becomes harder for me to express thankfulness if you're just following my script. I'm happy the script is being followed, but it's hard for me to see love if you're just doing what I expect you to do. And so if there's an expectation on anniversary that you'll get flowers, well, when the flowers come, you're going like, to okay, Check. There's not a a great sense of of love or appreciation because these are expectations that I've communicated. And so when you're trying to meet someone else's expectations, a couple of things come up. It's exhausting. And you're sitting there going, okay, what do I have to do to really communicate love? Because these things that I am doing are just what's expected of me. The other thing is we begin to get fatigued sometimes even meeting the bare minimum of these expectations. And so love becomes out of the question. And so it weakens our ability to love if the things that we're doing to show love are just, they're expected So when we hand a list of expectations to our spouse, it feels like a huge burden. And so life becomes this carrying around this weight of how am I going to hold this thing together and still make them feel like that the life that they have planned is being met. If I meet your expectations, great, great. But sometimes I feel like that I'm being pressured to do that, and sometimes I have to subordinate what I would like to do in this world to meet these expectations. The Apostle Paul says, I, I want to give you a, a different way of doing things. I, I want you to imagine your relationship in a new kind of way. The Apostle Paul says, once we understand who Jesus is, once we get a taste for not only what he was preaching, but how he lived as Christ followers, that changes us. And it changes how we interact with our our most sacred of relationships, with our spouse and with our children, with those around us. So all Christians who really understand the gospel will start to go undergo a change. So it's not just about coming to Jesus, it's being transformed into his image. And one of my favorite passages in all the scripture, here's what he says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2 through 3. He says, you Christians in Philippi that have heard the good news about Jesus, make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and one of mine, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, boy, pivot off of this, and in humility value others above yourself. Now, is that an expectation that we look at? Everyone around us and say, you know what, they're, they're so much better in every aspect of their life. No, that's not what Paul is saying. He says, look up from your hopes and your dreams and your desires. Lift your eyes off of this list and look at those that you interact with on the daily basis. What are their interests? How can I serve them? Count their interests and the interests of others more important than your own. Paul carries the same idea when he's writing to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 15. He says, stop going off this list. Stop trying to please yourselves. Instead, look for ways to please your neighbor, your your spouse, your, your family. Look out for his or her own good. Build them up. Follow Jesus' example the one that humbled himself and and died on on the cross. Follow that example of selflessness, of looking outward instead of looking inward and expecting those around you to meet your inmost needs. Galatians chapter 5, Paul continues this theme to to the church there. He says, look for ways to serve, Uh, not to be served. Look for ways to be a servant to others around you. Look for ways to follow the lead of Jesus, who who washed the feet of his disciples, later on prayed for their unity, and then went to the cross on their behalf. Serve others, not asking others to continually serve us. So we put the needs of our spouse ahead of our own needs, not out of meeting a list of expectations, just because we love them. And we've been loved by Jesus Christ. So we follow his example. And we say, the person I've chosen to spend the rest of my life with, I want to serve in any way possible. I want to love them as Christ first loved me. I want to serve. I'm going to do anything I can to make them feel special. To to meet some of these hopes and dreams and desires. Not out of an expectation, but just because I love them and because Christ has loved me. You know, when you're spending time with your spouse, and if you're on lockdown like at our house, you've got a lot of spouse time, right? Maybe this is the time to work on some of these marriage relationships that we have been kind of avoiding, haven't been having those real conversations. Take time this week. And if you're spending time with your spouse, there will be opportunities almost uh by the hour for one or the other to serve how do you handle those well um when it's time to serve you really got three different options now, number one is you can offer to serve the other one with joy when uh Jill and I get up in in the morning we like having coffee together and it it's not um I I love being the first one up to be able to pour that cup, but more times than not, it, it's Jill that's doing that. But boy, I, I appreciate that because I, I know that when we're serving each other, it's not out of obligation. We just want to spend that time and we've carved that time out together. So it's joy that we get to serve and it's joy that we get to spend that time together as we drink coffee. You can also serve to choose to serve out of cold resentment. Like fine, I'll get up. You stay in here. Oh, I'll do it. So it's the same action, but a totally different way of, of doing that. Job gets done, but the heart is not there. Or finally, you can you can selfishly insist on your own way. Just say, "Oh, if you want coffee, go get it yourself. I'm not doing it." So you selfishly insist on getting your own way. And I can tell you, we, we've all gone through these different phases in, in marriage. And I can tell you, if you want your marriage to thrive, and if you want it to last for a lifetime, well, you've got to learn to get into this. You've got to learn to having a heart change to say, I joyfully want to serve. You know, when Jill and I went through uh, premarital counseling, our counselor told us Uh, When you're dividing up chores, it's not 50-50. It's 100%, 100%. Because if you're going back and forth and you're you're weighing, well, who's doing more? Who's doing that? it, It just doesn't work because the joy gets sucked out of a relationship. So I encourage you to learn this. Learn to serve the other with joy. Only when you're both regularly responding to each other's needs will the marriage learn to thrive. In the coming weeks, I'm going to let you in on a secret, a secret that happy folks know about marriage. It's kind of a teaser. But basically this, marriage becomes a submission competition where we're learning to submit and say, okay, none of this matters. What matters is what God is doing among us what God is doing in our family, what God is doing in our community, and there's strength to our working together. I I need to be united with my heavenly father, but I need to be united with you because that strength of that relationship will pour over into the strength that we can provide for our children, that we can provide for our neighbors, for our church, for our community, and the kingdom of God. That's how important this is. Homework for the week. I encourage you to communicate to your spouse that there's no expectations. You have no expectations for them. What happens in life happens in life. But you're going to love them for who they are. Not for what they do. Not for what they meet in our life. But you're just going to love them for who they are. No expectations. That will build the love relationship through which the life you've always dreamed will come. And secondly, I want you to serve your spouse unconditionally like Jesus served you. Not begrudgingly, not tit for tat, but you're doing it because Christ has loved and served you to the point of going to the cross. Robin? Robin?